Good morning. Good morning. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We'll be in the first four verses of that chapter here this morning. While you turn there, I have a question to ask, and that question to you this morning is, what is your greatest need? What is your greatest need? As I look out among you here this morning, and I guess what you might be thinking, I'm sure there's a lot of things that might have come to your mind when you think about your greatest need. Some of us uh, are, are in need of jobs. Some of us are in need of that next paycheck. Some of us are in need of somebody to be there to, to help us and, and support us in just the, the regular course of life. Some of us are in need of, of food or for some of us, just good food. But what is your greatest need? There's a lot of needs, a lot of wants when we think about our lives here today. And I'm sure it can change from day to day or even moment to moment when you think about what it is that you need right now. You know, I need to, to be, I need my body to work right. I, I need somebody to, to call me back. I, I, I need somebody to solve this problem for me. This morning, we're going to uh, elevate this conversation when we talk about your greatest need and, and what we really need and what Paul tells us in the book of Romans, here in this particular chapter, he tells us that our greatest need, your greatest need, is for salvation. Look, there's a lot of things that go on in your life. There's a lot of things that want to vie for your attention. But first and foremost, our, our greatest need is that we know Jesus Christ and that we follow him. There is nothing that is more important than that. There are things that are, might be in your life today that, that you consider to be high on the list, but I guarantee you is not more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ today, right now, and in the future. Each and every one of us is destined for eternal suffering and damnation apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's the truth. There's a lot of so-called pastors who's going to stand before their congregation today that won't be willing to admit that to their people. There's a lot of people that want to come and, and have their people uh, uh, leave and encouraged and, and motivated. But without this central truth, they're going to go astray. They're not going to have what it is they absolutely need because what they need is Jesus Christ. And you can say what you want about me. And you can agree or disagree and get mad, well, how come he, all he talks about is Jesus? That's all I know. That's all that matters. And if you came to hear your ears tickled, you're probably in the wrong place. We are at a crucial point in the world today, and people need to hear the truth. They need to hear this gospel message. They need to hear about Jesus. And all these other things that are going on in the world good, bad, or indifferent, does not matter unless you know Jesus. 
but you don't have to take it from me. Um, Paul does a great job of helping us to understand this. He helps us to understand that uh, the reason for Jesus coming is so that we would be able to know him, that we would have salvation. This whole reason he came, Luke 19 and 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what he came to do. He didn't come primarily as a social worker. He didn't come just to be a, a good educator. His primary goal was not just to be a physician or a leader. In his letter to Timothy, Paul makes it very clear in 1 Timothy 1 and 15. It says, the, the, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. I, I'm, the, I'm the chiefest. I'm, I'm the, the worst. I, I might argue with Paul. I think I'm the worst. But still, Christ came to save us. Christ came to, to give us a, a gift that we, we don't deserve. And I can't just, I can't just stop and, and just wonder and think about just how amazing that is, how great that is. Paul understood this as the greatest need, and that's why he starts off chapter 10 by saying, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That's his heart's desire and prayer. And we talked last week about, you know, what, what is the, the, the status of our heart? Do we have concern for those people who don't know Jesus like Paul exemplifies for us in the text? I hope we have a similar burden because not only us, but everybody needs Jesus. Everybody. They might not want Jesus. That's beside the point. But they need Jesus. You see, the Israelites, they trusted in their own religious works for salvation. They thought that um, they could uh, go after their own righteousness instead of, instead of receiving faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to turn back the clock a little bit and remind you of what we talked about last week in Romans 9 and 30. It says, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And as is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him would not be put to shame. Paul here is talking about how while the, the Jews, the, the Gentiles, the, the Gentiles who are non-Jews, they received right standing with God through faith in Christ. But on the other side, the Jews refused Christ. They, they refused to follow him and they solely focused on the law for salvation. They, they, they thought if they, they did, did the right things and showed up in the right places that, that they would be good to go, that they would receive salvation. And some of us fall into this trap, don't we? Some of us think about these things. Well, if I just do just enough, then uh, I would earn favor with God. 
If, if I just do the right things and, and have the right actions, if I, if I come to church, that, or that should be enough. That's the bare minimum, right, for me to earn my way into heaven. Or maybe if not only just come to church, but I, mean, I could do some, a little bit of work. You know, I can, I can help out around the church and I can go out and, and do some evangelism, you know, with folks or hand out some, some trinkets or, or tracks or whatever it is. That, that should be enough, right, to get me into heaven. Or maybe, well, I, I could give in my offering. I'm not going to do all that other stuff, but I, I, I can give, you know, a little piece. I can break you off a piece of, you know, my paycheck every once in a while. That should be good enough, right? Or... Maybe I just be nice. Be nice to people who I run into and I can come and, and when I have to give an account to God, I say, well, I was a nice person. That should be enough, right? To give me into heaven. We think by playing by these rules is enough to earn our way into heaven. But Paul helps us to understand that we can never be good enough. We can never earn our way. You just, you ain't got it. You don't have enough to earn your way. Because when we look at God's righteous standard, we are so far, we're, I mean, we can't even think about getting close to his righteous standard. There's not enough good things. To, you can't be nice enough. Although I hope some of you would try. But we don't earn any of these things. And we see this from the very beginning of the Bible. When you consider Abraham in the book of Genesis, Genesis 15 and 6, it talks about Abraham. It says, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. It didn't say he was good. He was righteous. The counting term is used here. It was credited to him. He was in default, but God added credit to his count in this righteousness. And as we think about the law, if you remember, I continue to say about the law, the law is like a mirror that we hold up in front of our face. It shows us what's wrong with us. It shows us how we're broken. It shows us what needs fixing, but it doesn't do the fixing. Jesus Christ is the one that does the fixing. Instead, Jews, they tried to get right with God by doing the right things and being good. That doesn't cut it. Paul says the answer was right in front of their face too. I love how Paul describes this. He says they should have known better. It was so obvious that they tripped over it instead of examining what was happening and they kept it moving. <laughs> have you done this before? Have you, have you been just walking along and you trip over something and you, you try to play it cool like that didn't happen? You try to play it, play it off like, oh, I'm just going to straighten up and... Maybe nobody noticed. Without even looking back and seeing what you tripped over. Or maybe you could have let some people know, like, hey, hey, this, this, this concrete is, is messed up. You want to watch out? No. You, you, you look thinking about yourself, and you want to straighten yourself up instead of looking to see what is actually going on. If you would just slow down and examine the evidence, if the Israelites did this, if you did this, then you would see the blessing that you're missing. You would see and recognize what's 
actually happening, what's actually taking place. God provided the way to salvation in Christ, but Israel failed to receive him. Folks today are still stumbling over Christ. They think salvation by faith just doesn't make sense. So, I mean, just forget about it. I mean, what are you talking about? This, this guy came and died for, my, what, died for my sins for what? Why? I don't need saving. I'm good. Obeying God perfectly, Christ dies the death that, that we should have died. But still, people think that they can earn their own way to God. Uh, Christ, uh, for some people, is offensive to them because he's countercultural. Not just today, by the way. People uh, are offended by uh, the Bible and Christ, what he has said and done. But people have always been offended by Christ. He's always been countercultural. This is not some new thing that we just pulled out. He's always been countercultural. Christ asks us for humility, and people just don't want to humble themselves. But this has always been the case as well. He requires obedience, and folks just refuse to submit their lives to him. They don't even like the word submit. They don't want you to talk about, what do you mean I'm not in control? Of course I'm in control. I got this. And then they fall on their face. They stumble over something. <laughs> They refuse to believe, but we have to remember that there is good news. That even as broken, as imperfect as we are, there is good news. And the gospel is that Jesus lived a life that we can never live. And in, 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 in his way, he obeyed God and he lived a perfect life. And, and then Christ dies on a death that, that we should have died. It wasn't meant to him. He was mistreated. He was uh, accused of, of, of things he didn't do, of, accused of th saying the things he didn't say. And they crucified him for it. But then he, he rose and he conquered the enemy that we couldn't conquer. Even, even if we tried on our best day, instead he did that for us. And this so-called works-based salvation that people try to sell is just a dead-end road. But it's, it's, it's faith in Christ, and that road to Christ is what leads to life. It was, is what leads to glory. So simply put, if, if you miss Christ, you miss salvation. This is just the, the bare facts. You can't have one without the other. There are a lot of people who like to call themselves Christian, but don't look anything like Christ. They say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the Bible. Make that make sense for me. Who is Jesus then? If, you don't, if you're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible, then who are you talking about? But yet still, that's what many people do. In our previous chapter, Paul expresses an intense burden for Israel, and it leads into the opening verses here in chapter 10. Look with me there, chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For uh, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, 
They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You know, as I read through this and and think about what Paul is saying here and his burden for the loss, and you can kind of hear the anguish coming out in, in, in what he's saying. He earnestly cares for his his kinsmen, the people that he's from, and he desires, he says it point blank, he desires and prays for them to be saved. And, and I hope for us that we we never look down on people who don't know Jesus. We see a lot of this on social media, and I don't want us to get sucked into that, where, where people talk about other people um, because of the way they act, the things they do, the things they say, and they look down on them, um, expecting them to know better. But how, they don't know Jesus. How are they going to know better? They're, they're doing what they know, what they understand. And it's for us to go and explain to them, to share with them the good news of who Jesus Christ is and who he stand, what he stands for what he's actually said in his scripture, how he's revealed himself to us. We, we can't expect the lost world to act Christian. They don't know any better. They don't even know what that means or what that looks like. And at one point, you didn't know any better either. Somebody had to come to you, as many of our testimonies, some of, somebody had to come to us and tell us who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And, and who we are because of what he's done. Somebody had to sit you down and say, look, your life is not your own. I know you're going through struggles and pain and sorrow, but let me tell you about a man named Jesus. Let me tell you how God sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have life that is everlasting. Let's talk about that. Somebody had to sit us down and have that conversation and explain to us how we are dead in our trespasses and that we are in need of a Savior. And because of that, we're here today. Because of that, we can walk on this journey with other brothers and sisters to encourage us, and we can be on our knees in, in prayer and, and read the Scripture so that we know the God of the universe. So I hope none of us would look down on anybody because they don't know, they don't understand. Like Paul, we should have a broken heart for the people who don't know Jesus. And it should be our goal and aim that we go and tell them, how can we keep this message to ourselves? Any other so-called good news that happens in your life, you can't wait. I mean, you're probably calling everybody on the phone, dialing after dial to tell them about something special that happened in your life. And we should be doing the same thing when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to what he's done for us and how he's cared for us. With the realization that we know that we're not any better than anybody else because it was by grace that we were saved in the first place. It's not something that we maybe even asked for, but it's definitely something that we didn't deserve. This grace should humble us and cause us to want to know uh, the saving grace in God too, and that we share it with everybody else, anybody who is willing to listen. Each of us should be sharing this gospel with so many people as often as we can, but first we got to start with prayer. Everything that we do starts 
with prayer. And this is what Paul has explained to us, what Paul is saying that he's doing. Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. C.S. Lewis once wrote in uh, a letter to his students uh, who was looking for encouragement um, for the student. He wrote, I have two lists of names in my prayers, those who whose conversion I pray and those whose conversion I give thanks. The little trickle of transference from list A to list B is a great comfort. Man, what a encouragement that is for us to have an actual prayer list first, to have people that we are earnestly and fervently praying for, but praying for people that first that they know Christ and giving thanks for those that already know him. Imagine if you're writing in your own journal, thinking about the folks in your life who don't yet know Christ. And then there comes a day where they, they, they get to know him and they submit their lives to him and you get to transfer them from list A to list B. How special would that be? I know when I think about the people that I've known over the course of my life and that I've been able to share the gospel with and I celebrate with them once they have been able to know Christ Jesus. My brother just today was baptized. I've been talking to this man, my younger brother, I've been talking to him for years and years and years. I know, I know he loves Jesus. I know he believes. I'm like, man, this is your step in obedience. So I was happy to get the text this week to say, I'm finally taking that step. What, what a beautiful thing to, it is to have and, and celebrate when you see somebody in your life, they get to know Jesus. And I, I'm, don't, don't, don't mis, misunderstand. I'm not taking any credit because, I mean, <laughs> if it was up to me and just badgering him, hopefully it would have happened way before now. But God is in control. God is doing the thing. And I'm just happy he's, he's in the fold, taking a step in obedience, and he's going to go continue to do what the Lord has called him to do. Man, what a special thing to have. But think about the people in your life. Think about the folks in your life who don't know Jesus, have not yet submitted. Would you take some time today to be praying for them? And won't you take some time to be praying and giving thanks for those who already know the name of Jesus and call on him? In our text this morning, Paul, when he thinks about his kinsmen, his desire and his prayer is for them to be saved. Like I said, this is our greatest need. There's nothing else that trumps this. This is vitally important for everybody who walks on this earth. And as Paul talks about the Israelites, he doesn't question their, their zeal. They have tons of energy and enthusiasm in pursuing God. He questions their decision-making. Like, I know you want to be right with God, but all this stuff is not going to get you where you need to be. You need to be walking by faith. They were more zealous about following the law than actually following Christ. That was the whole problem. That was the challenge. They were more wrapped up in the interpretation and application of the law. They were more wrapped up in, in Jewish customs. They actually added to the law, like with the, the law says this, then I'm going to be all the way over here. And they would walk around like they got uh, everything together, like their stuff didn't stink because of all the stuff that they did, but it was for the wrong reasons. Paul isn't trying to throw any shade here either. I mean, calling them out in this way because he understood what it looked like because he used to be them. 
Philippians 3 and 4, he explains all this. He says, though I myself has reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's like, hey, if we want to talk about having tallies, if we want to talk about doing the right things, we want to talk about being good. Hey, I got that. He says, if anybody else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Let me count them down for you. Here's, here's, here's my, my rap sheet, my resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of all the children of Israel, of the child of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as, as a righteous under the law, blameless. But then he says, whatever I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I might share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul explaining, like, hey, look, this, I understand, I sympathize with where you are today, but let me expand this story for you. Eventually, Paul saw the light, <laughs> like literally, and his life was changed. His life was transformed. He put his trust in Jesus and focused his zeal on Christ. It was no longer on all the, the things and the actions that he was concerned about before. He put all that into Christ in making people know about him. One of the many lies that the devil has put into the world is that it doesn't matter if you, what you believe as long as you're sincere. This is dangerous. Paul says that even though they were zealous, they lacked knowledge, and they were sincerely wrong. When Jemiah was little and she played in, in upwards basketball, um, one game after halftime, I remember a girl from another team coming out, and she was just excited to get on the court and play, and you know, she was super enthusiastic to, to get to get in the game, and uh, she just couldn't contain herself. You could just see kind of just the vibration and just the excitement in her entire body. And, you know, most of these games, you know, where you're dealing with, with, with young kids is mostly just them running all in a pack around whoever has the ball, so you just see this pack going around, right, following the ball. And so uh, uh, soon this girl got her chance. She, she jumps up and gets a rebound and throws it back up, and, and she, she gets the basket, and she's excited, throwing her hands up in the air. The problem was it was the wrong basket. You know, it's one of those things where it kind of happens in slow motion, and, and you see her get the ball, and, and she's about to go up. You're like, no! Her coach and her parents are like, no, go back the other way, not that basket. It was a good shot, too. She was sincere and she was earnest, but those two points came to our team. There's no fault of her own. I mean, that's, that's what happened. She was learning, but it just shows us that you can have all this sincerity 
that, that in, in your heart, in your body, in your mind, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're sincerely doing the wrong things. Much like this little girl, it didn't matter how sincere Israel was. Their human effort could never be a substitute for the righteousness that, that God offers by faith. It was never a substitute. It can never be enough. That's why people need to know the truth. That's why I, my heart is burdened, even for the, the folks that are sitting in a, a church service right now that are not hearing the truth. That earnestly breaks my heart because they think they're doing the right things. They think they're sitting under sound teaching, but they don't read the scripture for themselves. That's why I tell you, that's why I encourage you that we read through the Bible together in a year, this, this year for two years, right? Because I want you to know the scripture for yourself. Look, I'm not going to stand with you when you come to God in judgment. I'm not going to be standing with you like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, Joe did all these things and I vouch for him. Uh, no, no, I mean, Gail, she was such a great saint and, and she did all these things. You can just let her in. I, I'm not going to be there for you. I got my own things to worry about. <laughs> you got to know Christ for yourself. You got to know God and how he's revealed himself through scripture and understand what it is that he's called you personally to do in your life for him and his glory. Paul says Israel's knowledge was lacking. Verse 3 says that they were ignorant of the righteousness of God and didn't submit to God's righteousness. Instead of living by faith, the Jews built their own customs and traditions in addition to God's law in order to try to make themselves acceptable. It was fruitless. It was pointless. As we close this morning, I want us to look at verse 4 again. Romans 10, chapter 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus, as our Savior, did something truly miraculous. He accomplished the whole purpose of the law in two ways. So first, he fulfills the purpose of the law and the goal of the law. Matthew 5 and 17, it says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So people will quibble and talk about, well, what does it mean to actually fulfill? What is what does that mean? It means to bring to completion or bring to reality. So Jesus fulfills hundreds of prophecies about himself. Jesus fulfilled the law, uh, teaching people to obey it while also obeying it himself. Jesus fulfilled the moral law by living a perfect life. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial laws through his sacrificial death. And instead of destroying the old religious system, he, he went and did so by finishing it and establishing a new covenant with his people. His fulfillment of the law and the prophets is uh, uh, who we have obtained our eternal salvation from. It's because of Jesus Christ that we can have salvation. So when we look at this and we read through the Old Testament and think about and look at all the things that they used to have to do, now priests are no longer required to offer sacrifices or, or enter a holy place or do all those things because Jesus has done it once and for all. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice 
for now and forever. And because it's been fulfilled, the law is no longer binding. Galatians 3 and 23 says, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Well, secondly, Jesus is also a termination of the law because in comparison to Christ, the law is powerless to say, we've been talking about this week upon week, time after time, as we've come through now 10 chapters into Romans. It's just the law doesn't cut it. The law shows us a need for a savior. Even if we tried, we could not follow the entire law as it was given by God. And that shows us why we needed Jesus. Praise God that Jesus fulfilled the law, the whole law, and gives Christ's righteousness to those who believe. Like Abraham, he credits it to our account once we believe. My question to you is, do you believe in him? Do you believe in Christ? Do you trust him? Or do you live your life like you got it and you're doing it on your own? Are we like Paul and our first response is to approach the throne of grace in prayer? Or is it last resort when we can't figure it out on our own? Salvation is available to everyone who believes. You can say you believe, but a good tree bears good fruit. So you should be able to see for yourself, am I really walking the talk? I, I say I believe, but it seems like everything else is occupying my time, and I don't spend any time with him in prayer. You know, I call myself a Christian, but I just can't seem to, to sit down and open up the scripture. You know, I, 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 I talk about the body of believers and the, the effectiveness of the local church, but I, I can't bear to come and, and spend any time with other believers. Salvation requires faith, and you, and you must believe Christ and his finished work on the cross. And brothers and sisters, that is your greatest need. I'm not saying that everything will be rosy after you submit yourself to Christ. But I love how, how Paul talks about this, this momentary affliction. <laughs> I mean, it sounds lofty. I mean, it, it might feel like a lifetime. I don't know what you're going through today, but when you're going through some stuff, it feels like, man, this is not momentary. <laughs> I'm struggling, and I don't know what to do. But when you think about the spans of eternity, it is momentary. It's, it's a blip on the screen, something you won't even remember when you're with God in heaven 
You get to be in his presence and in worship. Nothing else would even matter. The aches and pains, the missed opportunities, the, the past due bills, the friends who treated you wrong, person who cut you off on the road, none of that is going to matter when we get to see him face to face. There's so many folks that remain in their sin because they refuse to believe. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to continue to be a slave to sin. So I ask you right now to come to Christ in faith. If you haven't yet submitted your life to to, to Christ, I'm asking you to do that right now. I'm asking you to trust in him. And you're not alone. You're like, well, I don't even know what that means. What's that going to look like for me? That's why I'm here. That's why God has called me as pastor of this church so I can walk with you on that journey. That's why God has assembled you here and got people uh, surrounding you to help you walk in that journey with you. You don't have to do this alone. We're here to help you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to help you understand. Not everything in the Bible is easy to understand, but we're here to help you with that as well. If you already believe and if you've already submitted your life to Christ, and I want to remind you that um, we need to have a burden for the lost, just like Paul did. That we just can't go about life to say, oh, we got ours. I'm good. That's not the goal. That's not the purpose. You have this message that is burning in your soul that needs to be shared with people who need to hear it. God has put people around you so that you can speak into their life. Folks, that's not going to listen to me. But they know you. They like you. They trust you. And God has revealed himself to you so that you can be able to share it with others. Many folks are out here trying to work out their own salvation and work their way into heaven. And others just don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But I want you to be able to pray for them, to pray for their hearts, to pray for them to be changed and transformed. Would you pray that the Lord will give you the courage to speak the truth of the gospel into the lives of the people that he surrounded you with? He'll give you what to say and how to say it. So don't worry about finding the right things. There's a lot of people that I said not the, not the terribly right things too, but God still worked through my imperfection. I once heard a preacher named Adrian Rogers say something that has stuck with me for a really long time. He said, life is short, death is sure, sin is the cause, Christ is the cure. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today and and helping us to see for ourselves and and how you've worked throughout the course of history to help to inform that how we can live our lives ourselves and give us this this burden for the loss, for those of us who are here and, and know the name of Jesus and follow you. Help us to go and share this message, this good news with them so that they don't have to despair. They can have the same hope that we have within us. And if there's Folks, under the sound of my voice who don't yet know Jesus and are not yet following them, Father, I just ask that you touch them in a mighty way to let them know that uh, they are safe and secure should they 
make the decision to follow you, that you surrounded them with people who would care for them and walk with them on this journey, that they don't have to do it alone, that there is something better than what they've always clung to, and his name is Jesus. Father, help us today to share this message, this good news, and be able to pray fervently for those who have not yet received Christ and give thanks to those who have. Father, we thank you so much in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.